This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta-science behind developmental science. Hi, it's Jessica Logan. And it's Sarah Hart. And welcome back to another episode of Within and Between. Hi, everyone. Uh, it is the beginning of the fall semester. It is. And I, uh, I barely noticed it starting. What about you, Jess? <laughs> <laughs> barely noticed it starting. It's like, hilarious. no matter how many years you start a new academic year, it just takes it all out of you. It just never ceases to be like, did I do any planning at all? Did I, was I prepared for this? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> Could I be any more unprepared for this sort of the semester? <laughs> and I definitely did. Like I've prepared for a while and then just all of a sudden I went, oh God, it's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so eh, not ideal. Not ideal. That's okay. Um, but today let's yeah. talk about what we were going to do today, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is as we sort of look through all of the, you know, when we first planned the podcast, we made a whole bunch of like a list of a bunch of different mm -hmm. topics we wanted to cover. And um, one of the ones that we realized we hadn't done yet is pre-registration. Mm -hmm. And as a podcast that's really focused on open science topics and sort of introducing these open science topics, particularly to developmental science, we thought it's, this is a really important one and we should get into it. But then it ends up being really timely for other reasons, too. I have a student who's completing a pre-registration right now. Mm -hmm. And my lab just submitted our first ever registered report uh, paper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and we'll talk about the difference between those two here mm -hmm. in a second. But, um, yeah, so we're doing this stuff out here doing it. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it is. Yeah. So what is it, Jess? <laughs> what is pre-registration? <laughs> you know, the what I like to think about... Um, as pre-registration is like how you think science is supposed to work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think like, I even have that in the notes somewhere that I'm like, you know, it makes you kind of be like, this is actually how science is supposed to work. This is how you teach undergrads, how the scientific process works. Hell, this is how you teach third graders, how the yeah, scientific a, process works. That's a good point. Yeah. My first grader is learning the scientific process right now. And <gasps> Really? Uh, yeah. He had a scale and a tape measure out yesterday doing different, measuring different things around our house to see which was heaviest. And he used the word inferences and oh observations. We're like, oh, <gasps> wow. They really do learn a lot in first grade. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. That's so fun. Yeah, it is. Oh, how exciting. Oh, gosh, I love it. Oh, my gosh, I love that so much. That's like when my kids now come home and are, are interpreting graphs. Oh. And I'm like, oh, show me the graph. <laughs> just let me just see. I just want to see what graph you're working on. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, do you see? Do you see ways that we could make that graph better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's this? It's the line of best fit. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, how the, so, how the scientific process works. Yes. Yeah. So because just like in the original, yeah. it was like, you would say, what's the problem and what's the hypothesis? Those are the first things. And you do that before you do the experiment. Mm -hmm. And really pre-registration is a lot of defining what you're going to do and writing it down and putting it somewhere before you do it. Yeah. And to add to that, right, so defining your questions and your hypotheses, you know, directionally, if you have those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it can sometimes be a trip for the type of work that I do, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, hypotheses. <laughs> those exist. Something is going to be bigger than something <laughs> yeah. else. Maybe. This is going to predict something else. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then also, you know, like your analytical plan, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. thinking, writing down what the steps, what variables you'll use and, you know, what's, what uh, data cleaning steps you're going to do, like what are you going to do if you have outliers or if you have skewed or kurtotic data? And then how are you going to, what are the main analyses to answer your research questions going to be? So a little bit more detailed than what you did in third grade. I would love it if my first grader used the word kurtotic around me. Oh my gosh, I should definitely start teaching my kids about skewness and kurtosis just yeah. for fun. 
<laughs> just to freak out their math teachers. <laughs> okay, so pre-registration is the idea of documenting a lot of the decisions that you plan to make about your project in advance. Mm-hmm. And um, like before you, sorry, go ahead. Do before you collect the data most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. Yeah, or at least, you know, I do a lot of secondary data analysis, and you can do pre-registrations on secondary data analysis. It's just, um, you know, being clear what you know about the data or don't know about the data before mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, before, during your pre-registration process, you know, like, okay, I, I, I kind of already know this about this variable, maybe I've used this variable in a different analysis, or I have, you know, these data are collected, they're not mine. This is secondary data analysis, but I haven't actually looked at the data set yet. And here's, you know, what my research questions are going to be. Just being kind of really super transparent about, you know, your knowledge of the data and what you plan to do with it. And then putting it on the internet somewhere with a timestamp. Yeah, that says this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm going to do it. Um, and there's a little bit of background information. It just depends on what you, which which version you follow. I feel like we're we're sort of in the in the weeds on this without really talking about why why this has become a thing. Oh, um, yeah. I realize we're sort of talking about all of the details of it, but like what why did anybody want us to start writing this down to begin with? And I will to say a little bit about that. It was basically mm-hmm. that you the way I think this is always the way that we expected science to be done. We always mm-hmm. sort of expected that you have an idea. That's why you collect specific data, and you're gonna you have a plan in your head to analyze it or look at it in a specific way once you get it back. But then, a lot of these what what has been termed researcher degrees of freedom start creeping in after the fact. So things like, oh. Uh, Maybe I'm only going to look at this one subscale, or I'm only going to look at this subset of participants. Or um, you hear stories about people saying, uh, "Go back and analyze that again," because mm-hmm. uh, and drop out this group, or just look at this subgroup. So all of those sorts of things stack up. Even things like you know that I would hear in graduate school, or even when I was first starting out, like, "Could we have these big data collections that you know if we study reading in children?" Uh, and you that. and you measure like let's say you measure a reading construct with multiple different measures. Sorry to use measure two different ways in one sentence. <laughs> um, but you know, like you have the this ver you know the Woodcock Johnson you know letter word ID subtest and the Woodcock Johnson passage comprehension subtest and it's both measuring reading different types of reading. But like, but you're you know you're like what you know, what variable do I keep in my modeling? This reading variable or that reading variable? Both reading variables? I don't know. Let's see what looks best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely have heard that. Yeah. For sure. Like, pop it in and see what works. Mm-hmm. Which is like, once you, but understanding p-values mm-hmm. and what p-values are and how they work um, and the idea that you, the, the p-value really represents the um probability that if you did this if there's no relationship here and you did the experiment again that you would see an effect at least this big or bigger if there really is not an effect there which is why we want it to be really really small Mm -hmm. so we want there to be like probably this is actually a thing we're really measuring not a thing that uh not a thing that's chance yeah and by want it to be really really small sort of as a field many people decided on less than 0.05 and that tends to be what we go with but that's a whole other debate, yeah. which maybe we'll get into justifying your p-values or how tiny they should be. And we'll just skip off with that for right now and mm-hmm. just say whatever you have agreed upon as being your p-value for for uh, determining statistical significance. The whole idea is that if you run a 100 tests, you're going to end up with some of them that look, quote unquote, statistically significant or that your differences between your groups or whatever are significantly different just because of chance mm-hmm. when that's not what we want. No. We want so that. if you're just like, I'll do three statistical tests across these three different reading measures to see which one looks best, you're increasing your odds towards finding something that looks good by chance. Mm-hmm. And isn't really there. And then you have people try to go and look for that again and they can't find it. So mm-hmm. this is sort of why it's tied into the whole idea of open science and to the idea of, um, sharing data and open mm-hmm. practices and things like that is the idea is make a plan, stick to the plan, 
and then tell us all what happened with the plan. Mm -hmm. Whether your values are statistically significant or not, it's still a good thing to know. Okay. So that, I feel like that gets a little bit at the why. Yeah, a little bit. I, well, I, the only thing I'd probably add to it is that sometimes that why people think at, like researchers have bad intentions as well and are supposed to protect against that. Um, I I kind of am more in the camp of like how we just described it. I think it's actually useful of protecting against kind of innocent um, researcher degrees of freedom, you know, that, you know, things that just are like the norm in the field. Or, remember that big infancy paper that came out? Um, it was like three or four years ago where um, somebody did uh, an ethnography in an infancy lab and looked at the, the methods that were done there. And it was called like data peaking is really was, I don't know how common it is now, but was common in that lab at least um, of like, <clears throat> you know, peaking after every participant to see if they've reached statistical significance, like running the analysis each time, because babies are expensive to bring into the lab and are hard to do. And so they wanted, you know, they were testing after each participant with the idea being once it's statistically significant, you can stop recruiting and bringing in babies. Uh, right. You know, right. I'd forgotten about that. So these are just, you know, tricks, you know, that are done in the field that if everybody's doing it, and this is how you're trained, you know, it's just innocent um, you know, researcher choices that are not, you know, they're not, this is not bad actor, you know, this is, you know, this is just, this is how everybody's been trained and this is how the field works. But in reality, mm -hmm. it's, you know, not great if you're using p-value hypothesis testing. <laughs> <laughs> because of what they are and how they work. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh, that's, I totally forgotten about that study and about the whole idea of data, the data peaking. Yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I totally agree with you that I think it what it stops, what it stops, what it encourages people is theoretically is to reflect on the choices that you're going to make before you do the data collection. Um, and I do think that it stops a lot of those innocent, like, but I thought this was the way you were supposed to do it sort of ideas. It sort of stops those pretty quickly so that you're able to get at something that better approximates what the p-value is supposed to represent mm -hmm. so right. that's pre-registration in this nutshell now our listeners may have heard of registered reports before and wanted to know the difference between pre-registration and registered reports and i don't know about you jess but i think of registered reports as just being a type of pre-registration um, yeah i do too sort of under that umbrella mm -hmm. so to me you know uh I like to remind people at least that if you have a PhD, you likely have done at least one registered report. Uh, and yeah. it's funny because it sounds when you're talking to, you know, people about, you know, open science practices and you talk about pre-registration or registered report, everyone's like, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't know how to put that into my process. I don't know. How do I do it? Where do I start? And yeah, you say something like, you literally did it at least once in your PhD program and likely advise students doing it right now. And that's called their prospectus. <laughs> yeah, their dissertation, right? Yeah, yeah. So your proposal for your dissertation and then your actual doing the experiment or whatever it is. Yeah, so, you know, the prospectus or your proposal for your thesis or dissertation or whatever it is, it really is the, almost the exact same as a registered report. Um, there are some slight differences we'll talk about, but the idea is a registered report is a pre-registration plan. So you're still laying out your 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 research questions, your hypotheses, and your proposed, you know, your analysis plan. But then you also add on to it the introduction, kind of the background significance argument building up to those research questions. So the idea is that you do that introduction. So like chapter one of your dissertation and maybe chapter two of your dissertation, you know, you do the introduction and the method section completely. And what makes it a little bit different than a prospectus is that you then submit it to a journal for peer review. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, uh, your prospectus for your dissertation, you submit it to a panel of professors who will give you feedback on it. Um, but this is, you submit it, yeah, to a journal. Uh, it, that is called a stage one manuscript. Uh, so the stage one manuscript uh, is the introduction and your full method section, including your proposed analysis plan. And then it goes out, you know, if the editor decides to send it out for peer review, it goes out to peer review. And the reviewers then 
their 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 review is limited only to uh, it can be a part you know if the journal is interested in like the novelty of the research question that can be part of their peer review but it's really is the argument you know is there a theoretical rationale you know is there previous literature to support these research questions to support mm -hmm. the hypotheses and then is the proposed analysis plan appropriate for those research questions? Will the analysis be able to, you know, help uh, answer your hypothesis or support a hypothesis uh, right. or not support it? And, uh, you know, we're all thinking through all the steps of your analysis plan, you know, are they all there before you actually do it or do the experiment? how many people you're going to collect sort of yes also. yeah the participants mm -hmm. you usually on a registered report stage one manuscript you have to um have a full power analysis that supports your proposed analytical sample which is often common in a, pr a prospectus as well uh mm -hmm. but um a lot of registered reports these days are asking you to be powered or sorry journals who are accepting registered reports are asking you to be powered at 90 percent power uh, so extra power uh, <laughs> than like the 80% common, uh, commonly used in other places like grant proposals. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so this idea, you write this stage one manuscript, introduction and methods, and you go back and forth with the reviewers on that, the stage one manuscript, until both sides, including the editor, are kind of happy with the decision. And then the editor can decide yes, we will accept it. And it's called an exception. <laughs> Not an exception. An accept. <laughs> and accept in principle. Uh, and they accept the stage one manuscript in principle, which is the idea you then have a paper accepted at that journal if you then complete the stage two portion of the manuscript. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to... <laughs> I just talked for a long time about no, that's great. So I just finished one as well as, as yeah. a, for a, a paper for a grant that we got last year. So we just finished putting it in with some with some colleagues. And I think you described that really well with first of all, we needed point net power of 90% um, for all of the proposed hypotheses. Um, the other thing about a power analysis is you need a really good um, argument for the effect size you expect to see. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we went back and forth on a couple of times with these particular reviewers was uh, I don't like you, I'm not sure that this effect size is large enough. Like I don't know, or is small enough. I think that you, the, the previous studies that you were looking at, maybe uh, you might see an effect that's a little bit smaller in this study. So we want to see you have additional power. So we actually end up then doing a whole bunch of work, we sort of moved the budget around a little bit in order to funnel more money into collecting more participants so that we were able to have a differently powered study. So it's it's really nice in that sense in that a reviewer is able to catch that before you've done anything, right? Before you've gotten any data collected so that people can catch those those particular, you know, potential issues. I will say almost every time I've, you know, either been in a prospectus defense or had a student in their perspective defense, I guess more I hear about it when it's my own students, you know, they're always, everyone's always a little scared going into it. It is usually, sure. usually sometimes in most places, it, the prospectus defense for your dissertation is a little bit of a harder defense than the final defense can be. Because um, mm. you're, you know, you're hashing out this and you're defending your choices of your sample and your analytical plan and things, and you're kind of getting really deep into the weeds about stuff. Um, but I, like my students leave those defenses so happy because you get all these smart brains sitting around a table yeah. invested in your idea and trying to make your idea as good as possible that you can test the best possible version of your idea yes. um, so rather than like you know putting peer review at this stage one where like yeah everybody loves this idea let's get in on it let's make it the best possible you know a contribution to science is great because you know sometimes you I, I don't I more people around the table in my opinion kind of thinking through an idea um you know the stronger it will be mm. so so much better than if you did it later and then someone said a uh, fatal flaw yeah you screwed up or you actually didn't you can you can't test your hypothesis or oh, yeah. you um 
you use a bad measure. So I've been a reviewer for register reports a few times and have I'm a special issue editor for an issue on registered reports. So I've kind of seen it as an editor and I've seen it as a reviewer. And yeah, it's things like, hey, you missed this. You know, you're proposing to use this questionnaire for this, you know, you know, construct you're interested in, but there's a much better one here. You should use this one or, you know, that. And there's like, oh, like you can't be expected to know everything out there. Of course, yeah. And so, you know, it usually is less combative and more helpful. Like everybody is in this science team together to make this science as good as possible. Yeah, I I love that so much. And the the really nice, I also love the hardest, one of the hardest things for me to write anyway is the, the literature review. I find those to be very difficult to write. And once you have, if you're doing a registered report, you've written the literature review, it's done. <laughs> You're done. Then they've, once it's accepted, then it's accepted. And then you don't have to write, you don't have to write it when you're doing the rest of the paper. It's great. Yeah. So, right. That's talk about them moving to a stage two. So you go through the review process and then the editors, oh, right. right. The editor decides to accept in principle. And then you go off as authors and you do what you say you're going to do. And so then you submit what's called the stage two manuscript, which is then the completion. You're not supposed to touch the introduction or the method section, other than you might end up having to change like the tense of the method structure, a sentence, sorry, <laughs> the tense of the method section. Uh, oh, sure. You know, like we will do this to we did this uh, sort of thing. And then you, you know, write the results and write the discussion, but you the idea is then you resubmit your stage two paper, the whole document, and it goes back out to reviewers, but the reviewers are not supposed to then comment on novelty or you should have collected more participants. That's all done. They're supposed to say, yes, they did the analysis plan according to what we all agreed on before. And if they didn't, then they've marked it as exploratory and those were acceptable, the exploratory choices. And yes, the discussion then follows what they found with their results. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a, you should have more theory in your introduction. None of that stuff's coming up in stage two because the introduction yes. is set. Everyone was agreed on it <laughs> uh, <laughs> at stage one. Um, and I, you know, everybody that I've talked to mostly has found that the registered report process was uh, a, a great one. Because yeah. you put, I think you put reviewers in a, a place of, rather than being combative, they want to be supportive. Um, and because yeah. at the end, when you're in a normal review process, they're like, how can we pick apart this paper to find the flaws? You know, you know, kind of like being the barriers to publication versus mm -hmm. in a registered report at a stage one, they're like, let's, if this project is going to go forward, and I think it's interesting, let's make it the best that we can. And, and, and. As a reviewer, it really sucks to get a paper to review where they've Ugh. completely mismatched the questions with the analyses or the literature review doesn't cover half of the content that is in the... I know. Uh, you, you, know. You, you finish reading the introduction, you get to the analysis, you're like, what? <laughs> where did these variables come from? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we looking at the differences between first graders and second graders? That wasn't anywhere in the introduction. Mm -hmm. So, and so that, that, and that feels awful. I hate being the person that's like, ah, I write more often than I would care to. Like, I didn't read the discussion because... It's going to, no it's going to change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah. Gosh. So I do like that about a registered report. That's great. Yeah. So can I just to, to distinguish between the registered report mm -hmm. and the pre-registration again, I think that although I did just say, I think it's a subtype of pre-registration. I'm actually not, I, I might have changed my mind because I feel like a pre-registration can be its own thing where it's just a non, oh, I guess just a non-reviewed pre-registration. So you can, you can write down all of the decisions of everything that you want to do and everything you plan to do and post it online somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's just not reviewed by anyone. Mm -hmm. um, it should still be open and available, but it's not necessarily reviewed at that time. But then once you submit the paper, you can refer to the pre-registration and then they, they link up. So I think that's the big difference in my mind. Do you think that has a special other name? Other than pre-registration? That's what I've been calling them. It's just pre-registration. Yeah, to me, those are pre-registrations. And to me, a registered report is a special type of pre-registration. But 
that goes through the journal yeah. process, not just it is the same, but rather than just posting online, you post it through a journal. You do it through a journal and reviewers. Oh, yeah. You've literally said that like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, I and it now. and it usually includes an introduction too, which a registered a pre a pre registration doesn't typically. It might have like a paragraph, a quick background review, but doesn't but not usually. much. It's like right around your like your sort of goal. Yeah, <laughs> like that's all. That's all that ends up there. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so I feel like we've gotten both of those things covered. Mm-hmm. What's the pre registration? What's the registered report? So, I think a lot of people might be saying, "This is different." than how I was trained, mm-hmm. or this is different than what my advisor is telling me to do, or this is different than what's quote unquote normal practice. Why would I change everything up? Change is scary and hard and I hate it. Why should I do this? I would say there's a lot of benefits, Jess. Would you say there's a lot of benefits? <laughs> it's almost like the next section is called benefits <laughs> of our outline. <laughs> You cued it up so beautifully, too. I could have just seamlessly brought it right in. But (laughs) No, you could have. No, no. We had to draw a little meta-awareness there, too. I did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of benefits. I've tried to move my lab to every single paper as pre-registered, at the very least. Um, And I've even tried a a large, like, NIH-funded project that I did. I pre-registered all the methods of that project. Um, I, after doing that, don't, I don't necessarily see the benefit of doing like the methods of a project, pre-registering that, um, versus like why it's useful for doing it, um, at the analysis, like pre-registering what your analysis plan is going to be. But anyway, uh, yes. I I think this is really, I want to dive in just a little bit, dive into that because I I feel like a lot of the pre-registration discussion that, that I see, the way that I learned about pre-registration was through the sort of social psychology lens Mm -hmm. and the folks who are working in that particular branch of psychology many of them not all of them but a lot of the work that they do relies on undergraduates this endless supply of free undergraduate labor taking their assessments yeah like i said not everyone but a lot of them do and so a lot of this was sort of built on the idea that I'm going to go ask a 12-question survey, and I'm going to ask 100 undergraduates, and I'm going to have a paper done on this in the next six weeks. The kind of work that happens in developmental science is very rarely like that. Mm -hmm. We are bringing in babies slowly over the course of months and months and months. We are following kids longitudinally for six, seven years. So it's the the idea of a pre-registration of the methods of a study, I feel like is really different. Because by the time you do that, it's then going to be six years before you're <laughs> publishing the results, right? So I think that the the benefits of it are are different. Mm-hmm. And some of them are the same, but some of them are different um, within developmental science. So I wanted to set that one up too. Yeah, I agree. And it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had when we talked about LD base too, right? That hmm. that in developmental science, it's not necessarily the case that a single analysis or a single data set then is the project. But instead, a project can be something bigger. It can have multiple analysis, multiple papers, multiple data mm-hmm. sets from a project, right? Yes. Our projects tend to be much bigger than, say, experimental social psychology, where it's you collect a sample or experimental cognitive psych as well. You know, you collect a sample to ask the one question and then that's it. Uh, you know, it's project is one to one. So then the methods of the project pre-registering that might make sense because then that's also then pre-registering what the paper and methods are. Right. But we will have dozens of papers. Off yeah. Of so the project that I did a pre-registration for the methods of, you know, it's a five year, 1800 twin pair twin project uh where we're you know we test these kids like get their reading and math scores three times a year and questionnaires on them and so we pre-registered our recruitment process and our methods of recruitment you know like the questionnaires and things like that Uh, i did it just to try it to see what it was like but that Mm pre-registration is now just sits at you know open science framework osf and it's just been there for like years and we haven't published a paper on the project yet or did any analyses on it the registered report we just submitted is the first an empirical work from that project. Oh, cool. Uh, and that is, we don't have, we've never looked at the data yet so far. So that will be a completely blind, that was a completely blind study, which is unusual in twin projects because we publish a lot from a single data set. Um, yeah. But 
uh, that first paper will be blind to the data. But so, you know, I oh, so excited. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so uh, two years and, later, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, mean, it was four years later. Four yeah. years later. Four years later. Uh, it took yeah. a long time mm-hmm. to get all those twin pairs. But um, so, yeah, so I guess some benefits, you know, I more directly. I mean, there's the like. Um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the not exciting benefit, but their benefit of a lot of grant agencies are requiring right now, especially in educational mm. sciences. So if you get an IES grant, um, yeah. you know, pre-registration is part of the SEER principles and they are, you It know, actually has to go in your grant now. You have yeah. to write about how you're going to pre-register it and where you're going to pre-register it. And I've wrote a lot of data management plans these past couple of weeks. That yeah. have that. Okay. So, you know, you may, a benefit may be to make your granting agency happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that may sure. not feel give people like warm and fuzzies about the pre-registration, <laughs> but that is a benefit. Um, another benefit that I, I, I think this goes back to what you first started, Jess, of that this is how this is how science the, the scientific method was really supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I describe this benefit as like it really helps you delineate confirmatory hypotheses from exploratory hypotheses and there's just something wonderful about that when i wrote my totally agree with my first pre-registered truly pre-registered paper when i wrote that it was amazing to be i i don't want to say this and people are being like what kind of science were you doing before sarah but like you could like be totally truthful like this truly, we, th- we pre, we, we, this was our confirmatory hypothesis. Yes. And then we got into it and you can be truthful and use the word exploratory for real, that it's not like a bad word that you can be mm-hmm. like this. We got interested in this when we got into the data or we saw this and we're like, what if, you know, and then I can properly label it as exploratory and still do it. It doesn't hamper you, but you know, and it's just fun to write like that. I totally agree with you. And I think it's, it's, we get the pressure from a couple of places. So one of the things is that I, I know you may have seen this before. I have done this before where I have tried to delineate those and things that are not pre-registered mm-hmm. or that are not um, uh, a registered report. And I have had reviewers push back on me and say, well, just saying you were interested in this is not a valid you know, argument. I need to see some build up onto this in the introduction. Oh, that's a good point too. And then they force you to put stuff in the introduction. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, that's not why, you know, once we saw this, then we thought, oh, that reminds me of this other work we saw being done here. So we add a little piece of the intro, like another, you know, couple of paragraphs of just like, also this work is going to tie in with this other body of literature. And so we're going to investigate this thing. And they mm-hmm. really hate that. And then they want you to build that argument in and then that just feels it's just disingenuous. So I think we get that pressure from that, from that side. Mm-hmm. Um, from review, as, the review process of wanting yeah. this like really pretty paper package where the introduction fully sets up exactly what's going to happen in the methods. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I mean, it's frustrating. And then, and then I guess people talk a lot about the pressure of just, uh, of, getting a paper out and done so that's that's less interesting but i love the idea of really clearly delineating this confirmatory and exploratory hypotheses which is such a benefit to all types of pre-registration it really is um so yeah i i would say that's kind of the biggest benefit to me and then being able to be like but that that i had to pre-registration in the review process (laughs) this is it this is it um, you know, another benefit is one that we kind of already alluded to and, and talked a little bit about that it reduces questionable research practices, those kind of researcher degrees of freedom The you know, it, a, a pre-registration really can like completely reduce, uh, you know, the, the like legitimately bad actors, but they're likely not doing pre-registrations anyways. So it's more just against things like we talked about, like peeking at the data, um, selective reporting of variables that were tested. Mm-hmm. Um slightly maybe worse off cases like p-hacking um or uh uh harking which i can't remember if we've talked about that before on the on the podcast the oh but that's that's sort of what we were just what you just talked about yeah the hypothesis hypothesizing after results are known Mm -hmm. harking 
so that idea, you know, that when you rather than just labeling it as exploratory and leaving it in the analysis section, then usually it is through the review process that you get forced to do this or people anticipate the review process and just do it anyway, uh, where mm-hmm. you, you know, you really did conf- exploratory research and out exploratory hypothesis testing and then you're like well we better weave that into the story and create a hypothesis for it at the beginning so that it all Mm -hmm. makes sense why it's together so it can reduce Mm -hmm. these questionable research practices which is you know a benefit to science it's a benefit to all of those future graduate students who are trying to replicate work later on uh and can't Uh, and yeah. spend a lot of time. Um, it you know. helps us learn so much more in like truthful things, not true, but much more likely to be truthful things, mm-hmm. much less likely to be random chance things because spending your whole career chasing random chance, pretty not fun. There was, I think, some analyses that just came out recently where they looked at, right, the like distribution of p-values in uh, pre-registered work versus not pre-registered work, yes. right? Uh, and <laughs> the distribution is not what I would consider or normal. Yes. <laughs> what I would in the think, true mathematical sense of the word yes, normal. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, when it was not pre-registered work, but when it's pre-registered work, you actually see what a norm, what a distribution of P, uh, P values actually looks like out there in the wild world. Um, (laughs) so uh, we can maybe link to that work. I can't remember exactly where I saw that on Twitter, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, so that's another, uh, benefit. I think a a related benefit sort of is the, um, one of the benefits I've seen in terms of my pre-registrations when they've been reviewed is again, with reviewers who will say things like, well, you need to control for all of these covariates, these other covariates that you didn't consider. Oh yeah. And so then we can say, I mean, we can do that, but it's going to be a whole other section where we're going to label exploratory because that was not, you know, those covariates that you are suggesting that we include were not ones that we anticipated including based on our literature review and our analysis plan that was based on what we know about how these, these variables work. So it, it really gives you a way to say, okay, well, we can, we can handle this comment that you have given us, but this is the way that it has to be handled. Yeah, I've published maybe five-ish or more registered, pre-registered papers now at this point, uh, and uh, only one of them did we have an editor being like, I don't care about your pre-registration. <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> Do this anyway. Otherwise... It is wonderful to be able to say, but we pre-registered it this way, and I don't want to go down this garden path of everything this reviewer wants me to do, you know? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it can protect you against all those extra analyses that people can demand afterwards. You can either say, no, it wasn't pre-registered, or if you, you think it is an interesting exploratory research question, then you're like, okay, we'll add it in and make it clear it's exploratory. I agree. That is interesting. It would help the literature. Let's put that in. I can do it. Um, but you know, you can decide as you, the expert in this area, cause you are the one writing the paper of what right. is appropriate and label it as such, if it is appropriate and it's exploratory. Um, yeah. so yeah, I love that as well. I think it's just like an extra, an extra, um, layer of protection during the review process. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I can't believe I don't care about your pre-registration. I, that's <laughs> going to change. That is going to change for sure. As we move on. I hope. I hope the pendulum keeps swinging this way and that we just keep more and more people keep caring about it. Mm -hmm. It just is so much more freeing. I think people think that it's so much more restrictive, but it's freeing. And I'm sorry, we'll get there. (laughs) I went too far. I went too far. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the last benefit that we had written, at least, that I think about, we've already talked about a little bit, but especially for registered reports, you get more eyes on your project idea before you put the energy into actually running the project. Uh, yeah. And it's just more brains together to make sure that, you know, if you're going to spend resources and I don't know about you, but the hardest thing I do is start a new project and yeah. collect data. God, it's so hard. Uh, I don't, I look at my social psychology colleagues who are running like 10 projects a semester or whatever it is that they can do. And I just, my brain just does not work like that. Uh, it, that is just too, that is so hard for me to start and run a project. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's make sure it's the best project it can be before we do that energy to run that project. So. Yeah, I agree. 
Now, there's a little bit of, there's a few downsides, I think. Um, not many. I would say that almost the main, oh. Well, I, well the only, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on this first one. Ah. Oh. <laughs> so the, the yes. first one that, that, that well, Dr. Hart has listed here. Yes. Is it that, is. is it puts a lot of extra time up front. Now, it does put a lot of extra time up front if you're doing a registered report. Mm-hmm. Unquestionably, if you're going to put everything through the review process um, beforehand, before you uh, start collecting your data, it definitely changes the timeline of how this paper is going to be written. Unquestionably. Mm-hmm. And it, that doing... timeline might not work if you're like got funding and you need to be in schools in six months, you know, uh, you know, you might not have time for a six month review process of the registered report. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just made this call with a student actually who was going, well, I'm trying to decide, like, should we do a pre-registration or a registered report for this? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess it depends on when, when you need to start collecting data. So if the data collection is going to take a long time, we decided to go with a pre-registration instead of a registered report, because then we can go ahead and start collecting data faster. Um, but that means you don't get the benefit of having more eyes on your mm-hmm. report before you start collecting data. So mm-hmm. you sacrifice one for the other. Um, so the reason that I said I'm going to push back is that if you're not spending enough time to make these decisions beforehand, then you're not really doing science. Because the only difference, as Mythbusters taught us 20 years ago, the only difference between screwing around in science is writing it down. <laughs> is that what Mythbusters taught us? <laughs> oh, yeah. That and blowing things up is cool, I guess. Yeah, I don't okay. know. But you, yeah, because I think you, you need to have all of these decisions made. You need to know what measures you're going to pick. You need to know what variables you're planning on using. Because if you don't, you're going to collect worthless data. Or you're going to then go to try to analyze the data and realize that you don't have the variables you need. So this pre-registration, this, this, it might take a lot of extra time up front is actually a benefit because you need to be doing that work. Otherwise, you're going to screw yourself over. Mm-hmm. I will say when I wrote down this downside, I wrote it as like a straw man argument. I don't know oh. if that's actually the proper <laughs> definition of straw man. Oh, it's argument. completely the, yes. Is it? Okay. Completely the right definition yeah. of straw man argument. This is what I hear most often from people when they say they can't do pre-registrations. Uh, and I would agree with you. I will say, though, the, the incentive structure of science of just getting out as many papers as you can, it does slow you down. Mm-hmm. Uh it can feel like it's going to. You're right. I would say probably all it does is time shift the work to the beginning rather than after. Uh, uh-huh. And that work is going to get done. And if you do it at the beginning, then you protect yourself against, yes, collecting worthless data, whereas almost everybody these days is doing it at the end and doesn't have that protection uh, right. and might end up having collected worthless data. Uh-huh. But uh, yes, I agree with that completely. Uh, but this is a persistent downside that people mention, I think, uh, just because it's not how we've been doing the scientific process recently. You know, it, you do it. And I, yeah, you well, let me, first. okay, I'll push. Back. I'm like, I agree. I think that everybody listening to this podcast is going to be like, I do put in the time thinking about the measures I'm going to collect and making sure the measure is true. Good. I would agree with you. Like, I think people are doing that before their data collection, but I don't think people are like working through what are we going to do if we have skewed data? What exactly is going to be our analysis plan? I think you as a methodologist hope people are, but I don't think that's happening <laughs> out in the world no. <laughs> uh, for everybody else. And it may be your process, to be to make sure that the data is perfect. I, I do think that most researchers are like, okay, if you know, my primary research question has to do with, you know, um, wanting to delineate, you know, having this disorder or not, you know, predicting having this disorder or not, then you got to think about what the, you know, the statistic, the, the, the properties of the variables you're collecting to answer that, you know, generally they're thinking about that, like these important, or like, you know, I do individual differences work. So like I'm thinking through the measures I'm collecting better give me variance. Yeah, this better have variants. Yeah, and I'm really going to avoid yes, no answers, you know, unless I'm going to sum them together uh, to it with a bunch of things. You know, I do Mm -hmm. think about that, but I'm not going to, I don't think before a big data collection, I don't think through 
every single paper that's going to come out of that data collection, or even the one, you know, every single specific, well, before pre-registrations, I didn't necessarily think through every single specific research question and hypothesis I'm going to test about that data set before I collect the data. Yes, that I, I completely believe that that's the case. And I will say that that is one of the things that I will tell people to do when they're designing data collections, mm-hmm. which is why this works well with my, my jiving with pre-registration sort of generally. Yeah. Because it's like, when I have people write hypotheses, I have them write down the hypothesis using the variable names <laughs> that they're going to use. So what is the variable name that you're going to name this thing? Where does it come from? And then people will realize, oh, I was going to sum up four things and I only have three of them or something like that. Mm-hmm. That We tend to catch all that stuff at that point. But I, yeah, you're right. S- straw man argument. Ish. Ish. Yeah. I, I when so. I, if I can convince people to find the time and I do for sometimes, you know, it is, you know, graduate students are usually the ones, the, the, the more, the more junior of any culture are usually the ones pushing culture, right? I think there's lots of research to suggest that and graduate students, I think are, are pushing open no science exception. practices. Yeah. Faster than their advisors are. Uh, and so I do, you know, because graduate students are used to the prospectus process, you know, they can add to it. I think that they're more on board with it. I do find that it is pretty common to hear people be like, I don't want to put in that time right now. Uh, and you you said something a minute ago, and I want to expand on it. You said the, the incentive structure, not the incentive structure. You said the that we're just not used to it. Mm-hmm. That this way of doing things, that the time is shifted in different ways than we're used to. Mm-hmm. And that that it that means it feels like it's taking longer to do stuff when actually the total time is probably going to be almost identical yeah if mm-hmm. not less because have, i mean how great is it when you're writing a paper after your pre-registration is done oh it's so easy oh it's so amazing oh it's so easy you're like why it's don't so i do easy. this for every single paper and then that's i know where it, you start to do it for every single paper because you know i'm like well i'm just gonna cut and paste that right into my results section this is the framework and literally this is my i actually cut and paste it into like whatever my syntax i'm writing mm-hmm. And I was like, literally like, okay, here was research question one, here was my hypothesis and here was my planned analysis. Like here's the contrast or whatever it is right into the code. And then now here's literally the code to do that. It's, it's truly wonderful. And do you know why I, I, so one of the reasons that I've pushed for it so hard with many of the people that I work with is that it protects the students who are Mm -hmm. doing these analyses. I mean, I have definitely seen students doing analyses before pre-registration where they will work for years. They'll work for two years on uh-huh. a paper and still the PIs will be like, eh, I'm still not happy with this. Do it again. Do it this way. Change it in this way. And that is just so problematic. It just, it takes all of their time when they just haven't quite thought through all the things that they need to think through in order to, to make the decisions upfront. And so... Another reason for pre-registration and pushing for it. Make mm-hmm. the decisions first because then sticking with it makes it the makes the process so much faster on the back end. The the last quick I think downside I want to add that might be for our more seasoned listeners, if you are an editor or going through the process yourself. Um, with especially for a registered report is a lot of reviewers don't understand a registered report. Uh, so when I was an editor for a special issue about registered reports, I would say something like a third of our reviewers submitted reviews that said things like, where was the results and discussion section? Reject. This paper's not completed. After we gave them a full explanation no. of what a registered report was. Oh, um, no. So oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's still a little new, especially registered reports. It's new in yeah. developmental science. You know, more and more journals are starting to accept it. Um, and I think that will start to go away. But that was just a, a random downside I thought of that sometimes oh the reviewers gosh. or you as a reviewer might not know exactly how if you're asked to review one, how to do the review process. Um, it, it's a little, you know, breaks the mold a little bit in how you do reviews. Oh, gosh, that's so funny. But maybe... Here's the results. Oh, when we saw it the second time, we're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
I mean, it makes sense if you're not familiar with them. You do. You just open up the document. And we realize because we put it in the initial email requesting the reviewer. But you don't look at that email again when you open up the document to do the review weeks later. We got why it happened, but it was interesting. Um, (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. How do, you know, we've convinced somebody they want to do a pre-registration. How do you do it? How do you recommend to PIs to do it? How do you do it in your lab, Jess? So this is a really good question, and I, I, I'd like to hear how you do it too, because it's been very with varying degrees of success. Yeah. So basically what I've been doing is handing people some readings and then sending them other pre-registrations of similar projects and having them read those um, and having them read, you know, the Garden of Forking Pass article, just sort of the, like ideas of what, what the original reasons why we want to do this motivational pieces. So I give them some readings. And then ultimately what it has always come down to is me sitting with someone on a screen share and saying, then click here, then click here, then click here. The, it seems like I, I have not found the key to break it down all the way to sort of show people, like to convince them that we really can just put it online and say, yes, it's now available. Oh, like clicking through like OSF or wherever you're going to store the yeah. free registration? Yeah. Oh, like, well, I can get people to write it. I can get people to draft it in a Word document and we can get a nice Word document draft that goes back and forth with a lot of people and we can decide it's done. But then when it comes to actually posting it and actually making it public for people to see that part, I still everybody who I've worked with so far has been pretty squeamish about that last step. Oh, interesting. I've only I get it to some extent because it's like, well, now it's really real. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Kind of like the, I know other I people can submit. look at it. Yeah. It's like this. Now I really am saying it's done. Um, and so I, I feel like that in part of it is it. But the other part of it is just like, I'm not sure which buttons to push. I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. So mm. I gave you my process by way of saying I'm not doing it very well yet. Training new people. Um I've only ever done pre-registrations with students in my lab or postdocs. Uh, and oh, okay. I have not run into that problem. I usually say things like, yeah, look, there's all kinds of templates out there, right? So find a template for, usually we're in secondary data analysis, you know, so find a template for a secondary data analysis pre-registration and follow that template. Before the use these templates, and we'll link to the show in the show notes to like a library of templates, um, I used to send people to like aspredicted.org, which asks mm-hmm. the same thing, specific questions, answer this question, answer this question, answer this question, and then there's your pre-registration. So that's really what so- a template is. And and really, so you're, what you're saying is appeal to authority for going with logical fallacies. It's just that you can tell them what to do and they'll do it. Yeah. Whereas I tell my collaborators what to do and they go, um, are you sure? That for is my literally. students who I've worked with, they've been like, okay, I'll do it and submit it. Fine. That's literally no the difference. Yes. Yeah. I, there is a little bit of authority difference. And yes. <laughs> yeah. And so then I just review, you know, you answer these questions. I was like, what are your research questions? What are your hypotheses? Then what are your plans, you know, to answer that hypothesis? What, what's your plans, you know, contrast or test, you know, statistical test. And then what's, you know, what are the variables? How are they going to be measured? How are they, what are the values? How are they going to be coded? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do for outliers? Those sorts of things. So, you know, you just answer the questions as you go. Uh, and, uh, that's, um, you know, I think the templates make it so much easier. Uh, the register report we just submitted was for a really complex longitudinal model, uh, mm. uh, that's, you know, like a bivariate dual change score model with the twin decomposition on top of it. There was no template. Oh my God, that's going to be so cool. There was no template. <laughs> And it took, uh, yeah, a few people in my lab many, many months uh, to work through that analysis. Plan. But in part, that's just because you have so many decisions to make about how the hell that's to fit it. a model like so that. So the proposed analysis plan is like 40, 30 pages. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because wow. there's so many potential. Wh- if this happens, this is what we'll do. Here's the model. If this happens, this is what we'll do. Here's the model. Uh, yeah. 
yeah yeah that I, one I, that I, one yeah. that one was intense <laughs> I, wow. I threw my real statsy students on top of well they all are my whole lot they, they you know they they geek out about advanced modeling so I, I test it's a real test but I, I was like this is going to be a fun challenge for us as a lab let's try and I even I went to Twitter and I asked who has pre-registrations that I can look at of looking at longitudinal modeling and I only a few people could point some out so this is a newer area I think of having doing a pre-registration of a full longitudinal model is you know like that's like a whole there's just a lot of decision steps you make along the way of what's yeah. freed and what's not and um, I was going to say, because we did one for a, a univariate latent change model, but it was a factor score latent change model. And then the latent change score predicting stuff. Oh, okay. So it was, But it was three different types. It wasn't dual process, but it was three different latent change models. And so we had some contingencies built in there about like, what if these models don't converge? Yeah, <laughs> what happens? That's it. That's what we had to do. What if it doesn't converge? Or what if these models don't converge? Yeah, test- which is very because you know you're trying you're matrix. often trying to like buy yourself degrees of freedom in those models because they're like you're oh, like yeah. ha- you're like pushing to the max for degrees of freedom and so like Just you want you want to like constrain pathways as much as you can so then like how you're going to test that how you're going to do that you know the combinations of it um yeah so we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll see how it uh how it goes through review <laughs> i don't know how they're going to find reviewers oh my <laughs> god handle the that that level it's going to be it will be fun Oh my gosh, cool. Um, yeah, so find a template or, you know, if you want to take an extra <laughs> challenge, then you literally... Or find a friend. <laughs> yeah, find a friend uh, and answer the questions. Uh, and then, yeah, post it online somewhere. Um, just lay, you know, you can put it anywhere. You can put it on your own website if it's time stamped. Mm-hmm. That's all that it needs. But there is, you know, Open Science Framework, really, this is their bread and butter, right? To be a place to store pre-registrations. Uh, you know, they have the templates and stuff and they, you know, so that I would say for us in developmental science, that's a great place to store your pre-registrations. But, you yeah. know, it really can be anywhere, including like LD Base if you want. LD Base has a way you can store documents in a project page and your document could be a pre-registration plan that eventually you'll put the data and code forked off of your pre-registration so it could be anywhere on the internet um but that's it's just publicly available you can link to it and timestamp it is the idea yeah um i want to throw out one more thing that's actually not on this list but it, it leads into our experiences which is next so one of the one of the maybe not downsides but one of the complexities of these pre registrations that we have found is that they're it's hard to keep them anonymous. Yes. Some of the, if you publish a pre-registration on your website, like you just said, or on your LD base project page, then if you point reviewers to your Mm -hmm. project page or to your website, it's no longer anonymous. So, um, different journals have different feelings about that. Some of them are fine with that. Some of them, are not fine with that. We just had an experience where they were not fine with that. Mm. Now, OSF does allow you to have an anonymous link now. I think they're the only ones that do. They do. Well, for whatever reason, the one that I had didn't work at Uh, the time, but it could be that it was just a fluky, weird time that it it didn't work. But also, I think that we had our names in it, but maybe it just Uh, blanked out. It's supposed to blank out the names. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you how we got around that. And we got around that by saying, here's the redacted pre-registration we just basically printed it out with a timestamp. okay blacked out our names and then attached it as an attachment to the paper okay and supplemental material for review purposes only so most of those will allow that um so that's another option you can do but you're right i do find especially i think uh, i in my experience publishing in psych and in education journals that education journals are much more worried about the the like double blind process hmm. then psych journals you know they sometimes don't even bother you know that the, the reviewer knows the names of the authors and so it's a little bit less of an issue sometimes in psych journals than it is hmm. in education journals yeah i think you're right interesting so you know yeah we wanted to finish up by talking about our experiences but i feel like i kind of sprinkled them in throughout actually um mm-hmm. you know i i have always you know it it's hard 
at first to think through every iteration, you get really worried that you're going to miss something. I have missed something. I, so an example, one of my first papers I pre-registered, I pre-registered um, the analytical plan for if I had skewed data, but I forgot to write what I would do if I had kurtotic data. And so help me for like the only time in my career, I had a kurtotic variable in that data. No. <laughs> and so I had to, and so I was like, well, I didn't pre-register it. So, you know, you have to mark this was not pre-registered, but it was actually ended up being very freeing in the end. Cause I could just literally narratively say, this was not pre-registered. I made a mistake. I think the paper literally says we made a mistake. Um, wow. And then said, uh, you know, we followed the pre-registration plan for what we would do if we had skewed data. And that did correct our kurtosis in this case. And so we were lucky there. Uh, so we did kind of use a pre-registration plan, but not exactly for how it was supposed to be. But we just were clear with what we did and then just moved on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have plenty of pre-registered papers where I'm like, literally, like, we, whoops, I cannot believe we didn't pre-register that. But here is yeah. the major analysis we wanted to do and here we're going to mark it as exploratory because it's not our pre-registration but it's not stopping us from publishing this absolutely and i think that this is something we didn't put it's not a downside but no. it's something maybe that people maybe it's like a myths or like what are the fears that we continue to hear when mm -hmm. we talk about this and oh, one of yeah. them is i feel like i'm boxed in a corner mm -hmm. if i've done this then i can't do anything else and i'm completely beholden to this document and the answer is, no, you're not beholden to this document. As you just pointed out, even it, what it does is allow you to separate what you said you're going to do from what you, from what else you did. As mm -hmm. long as you do what you said you were going to do, then those, those are your pre-registered uh, analyses where you, you uh, can draw the strongest conclusions from. Anything else that you do after that is the conclusions are not as strong and they don't contribute as much. But the first but you can still do them. Mm -hmm. And discuss them. And discuss them. And it can be in the paper. So yeah, I, it is not, it is just a way to do all of the great data management stuff we like to talk about that you like to say, you know, at the beginning, think through so that you can answer the research questions you want to answer. You yeah. laid out, you protect yourself against researcher degrees of freedom. And then you can still be like, oops, it's still, <laughs> we forgot. yeah, still handle your oops or we forgot or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I've, uh, I like doing them every project that, you know, any empirical work that I do, I pre-register in my students as well. So that's I my I just pre-registered my first, like my first, uh, I guess we had some, we're going to look at these correlations, but we don't have any hypotheses about how big they're going to be. Mm, that's what a lot of so mine are. <laughs> It's like it's like an exploratory. It's a pre-registered exploratory study. I pre-registered a completely descriptive paper. Yeah, that's what this one's going to be completely descriptive and correlational. Yes, that's what my fully. I'm like, this is what we'll do. These are the variables, but I don't. Yeah, we had barely. We had a couple. There were a couple like sub subgroup t tests uh, that we had some hypotheses for, but most of the time we didn't have any hypothesis, any hypotheses. Interesting. It was just, these are the research questions and this is how we're going to test this research question. Mm -hmm. Oh, fascinating. Wow. Okay. So I do feel like we did talk through, so you have, you have exploratory, wait, you have registered report experience on multiple levels and pre-registration experience that's not registered reports on multiple mm -hmm. levels as well. Um, I have a little bit less of that, but some of it done, done a couple of papers from pre-registered things and have other pre-registered things coming down the pipeline. Just did my first registered report. Stage one, maybe accept, hopefully Ooh. soon accept, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and so then the data will start collecting. So, you know, in three years. <laughs> You'll have stage two. Well, we'll have another paper ready to go <laughs> <laughs> but in the meanwhile it can go on your cv as an accepted paper so oh dang i didn't think about that yeah it's an accepted stage paper it's accept one. yeah stage one accepted paper accepted in principle yeah hmm. <laughs> well hey add that to the bonuses column there you go yeah of registered I, don't, reports. I don't know talk about I... changing the timeline <laughs> yeah I mean, that's why I also, anyway, like preprints, right? It does change the timeline. You can get it out there and have it on easily on your CV. Like, look, read this. It exists yeah. as a product I've written. Never mind the year-long review process that it's going to go through. 
That's such a good idea. I had not thought about that as an incredible advantage of these registered reports. That really, it hits your CV a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So well, get out I feel there. Like we did a really good job of uh, explaining these different levels of registered reports and of pre-registrations. We encourage you to do them. Yes. And we'll I link bet this- that somewhere, someone ex- like there's one that exists where someone shows you what to click and how to actually file things. If you if you get to the final stage and it starts to freak you out, I bet that somewhere someone's done a walkthrough of like what what to click on different websites in order to yeah. Host them. I guess tweet us if you're listening to this and you know where that exists, and we'll push it out there and put it in the retroactively put it in the show notes. Yeah, and I'll, I'll hand it to all the people who I'm trying to convince to do yeah. registrations. Well, if we do retroactively put it in the show notes, we will mark it as exploratory, though. <laughs> And that's pre-registration, folks. (laughs) See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental science See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>